I'm Justin Voss. And I'm Ryan Isabel. And this is Built in Motion. Welcome to Built in Motion. This is the first official Built in Motion with Ryan and I together. In this episode, we're going to talk a lot about drones. Our plan for Built in Motion is going to be a show where we tell the interesting stories. Like, look, Ryan's a mechanical engineer in auto racing. I'm a fabricator and pit crew member in auto racing. So we just, we love things, mechanical, electronic, new technologies coming out. And we hope to explore the stories and the people around those and how they affect people's lives, how they affected the lives of the inventor, and just how things came to be in the world around us. In this podcast, we're going to be talking to an ex-NASA engineer who helped design and develop a drone that is used to fly from the International Space Station down to Earth. But first, we're going to talk about consumer drones by talking to a private investigator and how he's using them potentially in his business and about the ever-changing laws surrounding drones as they become more popular for commercial use. Here we go. <laughs> it's unreal. <laughs> That's the wind catching. See, now what I'm going to do is take over again. To help us understand drones better, we sat down and talked with Daryl Wilson. He's a Vietnam veteran, retired from the police force, and he's a private investigator. My name is Daryl Wilson. I'm a licensed private investigator, and I own a GPS tracking company, and I own a drone sales company. So he's a private investigator, so I'm guessing he's using these drones to spy on us and to help solve his cases. No, I'm not allowed to under the federal law. That's a bummer. It seems like uh, it'd be a perfect tool. Well, I'm the only licensed private investigator that has the FAA exemption. I could fly the drone commercially. Right. So he's not using them right now for that, I guess. Are you sure everybody knows what a drone is? I'm not really. The drone that Daryl uses is one of these four propeller. It's probably about two foot by two foot. Looks like a helicopter with four propellers on it. And I'd say as far as components go for a drone, you have your chassis, and everything's either housed in that chassis or it's connected to it, starting with... You have your props. That's the propellers. You have your motors of different sizes. To turn those propellers. You have your camera, different qualities of camera when you order cheap camera, high-priced camera. It's all about how much money you want to spend. You have your altimeter and your compass on your high-end drones. And to tell the thing where it is in the world. You have your GPS unit. And depending on what type of GPS unit it is, whether it's low ball or high dollar, is to how accurate your drone will come back and land if you have a flyaway or come back. And that's basically it when you order the drone. So you have all that, and to help stabilize a drone like a quadcopter, you have two of your props turning clockwise, and two of them are turning counterclockwise. And then your flight control board is controlling all of this. I know these drones with, their, with the GPS and with the sensors that they've got that are linked to the controller, that you can have them set up to where like they know where they're at and they can follow you which means if you're on your motorcycle and you turn on follow me as long as you have your controller you have your phone or whatever with you it bluetooths back to the drone that kind of seems like it'd be about the coolest thing you could do with a drone Absolutely. You see a lot of the videos online of people riding motorcycles or riding bikes, and it looks like footage that you used to see 10 years ago from a movie with a helicopter, and it's following them around. Well, you can do it with your own drone, your own backyard. It's very cool. 
when you set it at an altitude, 20 feet, 30 feet, 40 feet, it'll follow you. You make your turn, it'll make the turn with you. So you can have your drone follow you around. What stops you from taking your drone to your neighbor's house and peeking through their windows? Well, funny you should ask. I'm working a case involving a stalking case. In theory, that's under the peeping Tom law. There, There is a law against standing anywhere, even in public area, and looking in a bedroom window. It depends on what you're looking for. If it's self-gratification, it's against the law. If it's just looking, you probably won't use that, but if it's if it's just looking, they should have their windows closed. Now, if you're filming from outside, there is no law against that, as long as you're not on their property. <laughs> yep, I knew it. How can that not be illegal? Well, take this theory. The drone laws take into consideration that everybody's afraid of drones. So flying over a crowd and taking pictures of them is a privacy violation. Well, you have no expectation of privacy in a public place. None. This is Daryl Wilson, the private investigator speaking. After 46 years of doing PI work for lawyers, you have no expectation of privacy in any store, on any roadway, anywhere that's not inside your home or someone else's home that you've been invited to. So there is no expectation of privacy. And that's what the whole law is based on, your expectation of privacy. I would just shoot it down. Don't shoot the drone down. Why not? Because you go to jail. It's a federal offense. Most people don't realize that, but the guy that shot the drone down in New Jersey, he went to jail. The drone actually falls under the federal aircraft rules. So to mess with a drone, even though it's a toy, it's a federal offense. I'm still going to shoot it. <laughs> now, what you do is, is you take a net or you take a pillow or you take it and you knock it down. Then stomp on it. Well, <laughs> I don't know about that. But I just mean, can I steal this drone if I catch it with a net? If you steal a drone, I can show you how to fly it. <laughs> just don't call and say I stole the drone. All right. <laughs> there's going to be people abusing everything, but there's always good ways to use something. Let's say that there's a 100-acre farm out here and you got a lost child. I don't see them anywhere. Or, or a maze that they get lost in. You can send the drone up. Let's send it up and see if we see them. And the new software for the new version coming out will let you pan that field back and forth. You can go back and forth, and as soon as it hits a human being or infrared, you can stop the drone, and it gives you longitude and latitude, sends the people right to where they're at. Oh, thank you, thank you. So there's a good use for drones. I think the idea of that is really cool. Like, say you're going to find somebody lost in a corn maze. You know, I could see... Like, if my kid was lost, I'd be really worried about that, and I'd be like, get that thing out there. Absolutely. Now, Daryl is a private investigator with the FAA commercial exemption, but... I have not used a drone in my work yet uh, because I'm waiting on them to pass the new rules and, and new regulations. I still, after being through this whole deal, I have no idea what that means. What are the exemptions? What's that mean? Daryl says that not only do you have to have that exemption from the FAA to fly a drone commercially, but you also have to be a licensed pilot or have a licensed pilot operate it for you. 
I guess now recently they lowered that. You used to have to be a private pilot. Now you can be a recreational or sport pilot, but it still seems kind of crazy that you could be exempt and and now you can fly commercially if you're a pilot. Yeah, which is dumb because I can fly one of these drones in my backyard as long as I'm not charging some somebody money to fly it. Like if I wanted to look at my neighbor's roof and inspect it and tell him I want to charge him $10 to do it, that would now make it illegal. But I can fly up and look at his roof if I want to do it for free. Yeah. What if you flew on top of their roof and looked at it for free and then charged them to answer one yes or no question? <laughs> I think you could probably get away with it. If I fly it for free under the model aircraft law, I don't need to be a pilot. It's the same drone. It's the same flight. It's the same everything except the word commercial or dollars. Crazy. Drones have become the ham radio of 2015 to 2016. Everybody used to be on ham radio and CB radio. Well, now everybody's flying drones, or a lot of people flying drones. Why? Because it's like model cars and racing airplanes and racing stuff. They can take that drone and build it any way they want it. They can add up to 5,000 feet. They can add the gauges on their video, and, and it's it's more of a hobby. I know what he's kind of getting to. It doesn't make sense to me, though. This is how I see it. When people get into ham radio, they like modifying them. They like making their antennas so they literally can go around the world and talk to people in China. So I think he's saying the same type of people that enjoyed having a ham radio that could make this thing communicate around the world are the same people that are interested in a drone that could possibly fly 8,000 feet in the air or fly five miles away because they've modified an antenna. It's kind of the same type of technology that transmits uh, your voice across the air as it does controlling the drone. So I, I feel like he's saying that the people that got into ham radio are the same type of people that are getting into drones. It's not, um, um, it's not a ham radio. Come in, Emic. Come in, Emic. Are you having a tornado? I feel like tinkering around with drones, the next evolution is racing drones. Yeah, absolutely. If you've got a drone, you're going to want to race it. People are racing them. Have you seen the videos online of the first-person view where they've got the cameras mounted on the front of the drones. They don't even have to see where the drones are going, and they're racing these things through the woods and through buildings around obstacle courses at high speeds. How, how are they seeing things? With a camera mounted on the front of the drone. But, I mean, do they have something on their head? Yes, they'll wear... They'll, there's two different ways. You can eat most of the... Good racers have a pair of goggles that they put on, but you can also control them through your smartphone or some controllers have cameras on them too. It's just like flying through the woods on a Star Wars uh, hovercraft that the you know Ewoks are trying to take over. It's very cool. I mean, I think racing would be awesome and flying around and souping up like the big motors we were talking about, putting them on there, seeing how fast they can go, big props. I... I'd like to see how high the thing could go. Absolutely. Uh, If you're going to see how fast it can go, you might as well see how high it can go. 
But Daryl says if I want to do that, I first have to. Calculate, is the drone going to fall out of the sky? Okay, these are for the idiots that take the drone up as far as it will fly. But they're not looking at their battery meter on their controller. And their battery meter gets down to 30%. Well, at 25, it cuts off. So they can get up. <laughs> they just can't get down. Now, it they can get down. down real quick. Right. They can get down, but it's not the down they want. And if you've ever seen a drone that fell out of the sky at 5,000 feet, there's nothing left of it. Uh, so, so flying drones is almost. Have you had one? <laughs> I have seen one. I have seen one. You're not going to admit that. <laughs> I, I won't admit to anything unless I get caught. Uh, I'm pretty sure if I had a drone, I would not read the instructions. I would immediately take it, fly it up as high as it could possibly go, not realizing that I'm going to run out of batteries. And Yeah, who would know that it automatically cuts off at 25%? Why would it cut off at 25%? You'd think it would just fight least, till death. At least get itself back down. Isn't that what the 25% is for, to bring it back? Uh, you would think. but uh... Most people that buy drones do stupid things with them. I did. It's one of those things that it's intriguing, intriguing and tempting to have a toy. And that's what I call them. They're just a man's toy. They're just so... Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're tempting is the right word. You know? Yeah, I mean, it's just you want to see how far you can push the limits. And of course, it's like that with everything. If you buy a, a, a brand new Camaro with 400 some horsepower, you want to add another 600 to it. I like learning and thinking about the business applications of drones. Just think back when they used to film movies, you had to put a helicopter in the air to get these aerial shots and spend all that money Probably wasn't as good. The camera's moving around. Now anybody with a $500 drone can do this. Get the same cinematic shots that used to take who knows how much an hour. A damn helicopter flying around. Now we've equipped them with some high-sophisticated cameras, which are three-axis cameras. They look just like cinematography, just like the one you saw here on my phone. It's coming in. Uh, they have The wind can be blowing. They can be. The camera's just steady. So it doesn't affect a three-axis camera. A three-axis camera is a camera that can move up, down, left, right, zoom in and out. So I know that people are using drones for, like I said earlier, like home, home roof inspections and other things like that. But I know that there's more to the commercial side than just flying up to my neighbor's roof and seeing if their, if their uh, shingles are peeled back. Roof inspections for huge, we're not talking about a house. We're talking about, you know, a 700,000 square foot building with a flat roof that has water on top. And they want to know all about it. Well, you can take the drone and cover it while you're standing on the ground watching it. The private investigative business is not going to form any policy on drones. Where it's going to come from is commercial companies. So I'm working with a company to do their tower inspections for cell towers. The drones can save them one-third of what they pay a climber to climb that tower. I bet when most people think of a drone, they're thinking of that quadcopter that we were talking about earlier. Well, there are also fixed-wings drones. And the fixed-wing drones, some of the sheriff's departments operate, they can fly for hours or days. I've heard a news story, and I don't remember the exact details, but basically 
they had an airplane or a blimp flying above a city for an, a month where it never came down or it came down very infrequently and it filmed the entire city the whole time in an effort to help fight crimes and solve crimes. They'd videotape the entire city, and if, if there was a robbery or a murder at a certain area, the camera that they had mounted on this plane or on this blimp covered the entire, a very large chunk of the city so they could zoom in on where the crime occurred, and they could either rewind the camera or fast-forward the camera to find out where the criminal either came from or where he went. So, I mean, that's the closest thing we've got to a time machine or... Almost like Minority Report, absolutely style crime solving, where you you walk into a crime scene and maybe there's a body laying on the ground. I don't know, and you <laughs> press rewind and you see the person stand back up and the criminal walk back out and get back in their car and head right back to their house. Exactly what happened. Exactly what happened. Yes, and so you, the in the future. Or the possibility of using an unmanned aircraft like a drone that could stay up indefinitely could be a very good tool for fighting crimes. But you know for a fact that many people, probably including myself, might be concerned about invasion of privacy. Well, yeah, I mean, eventually, or some people are kind of worried about the satellites doing that to us right now. How can we do a drone episode and not talk about delivering packages with drones? Amazon, all these people talking about delivering packages with a drone, that got the firestorm started. You mean being able to order a uh, a new cell phone online and in 30 minutes a drone delivers it to your front door? 30 minutes, that's what they said, actually. Yes. I don't think you'll see packages delivered, but, you know. It's possible. I actually heard they're lobbying the FAA now kind of to redo these exemptions which i think they're in the process of or whatever it's confusing me and you have looked this up right but what's hurting amazon right now is the line of sight thing right or having a pilot having to fly each one of these drones yeah so obviously delivering a package with a drone it's not gonna work no not right now but once they can get that figured out yeah and it could happen in the future the amazon has a delivery they basically have a uh, shipping center at i think their goal is to have one at every single airport in the united states and from what i can tell with the amount of traveling i do i see an amazon delivery center at just about every airport that we fly into they're going up they just put up that one where we usually fly out of yes so not only is amazon wanting to deliver packages to your home using drones but now nasa is developing a drone to deliver packages from the International Space Station. I talked with a guy that we both work with that used to work at NASA. One of his projects was working on this drone that would fly from the International Space Station down to the planet Earth. His name's Warren Tyree. Uh, Warren Tyree, I was senior design engineer in the analysis branch. I didn't do any analysis. They were developing a uh, basically a drone 
that would fly from the International Space Station down to Earth. On the last project I was working on, the problem we were trying to solve was having a down mass capability for small uh, payloads from space station. And not have to Drone was designed so they wouldn't have to send up a space shuttle in order to get anything that they wanted from the space station back down to Earth. That wasn't going to burn up in the atmosphere to return so we could actually get the payload back. Like test samples or any project that they had been working on. So what we devised was a small, about 30-inch diameter capsule uh, with a small payload compartment that could deorbit from station and land uh, in the continental U.S. I guess they used to have to wait for a manned mission that was probably pretty few and far between. Yeah, they would have to wait for an entire, you know, once a year, however often they sent up a, a spaceship in order to get any sort of test results or anything that they wanted to bring back. So there was a lot of design criteria that drove our size. One of those was the shipping container going uphill. We had to fit in a certain size. But it's brought up via a manned spacecraft, but when it comes back down to Earth, it's unmanned. But then also to get it out of space station, we had to fit in the Japanese module airlock. It looked like the capsule that you'd always see Flying back into Earth back in the 60s and 70s, that was on the top of a rocket ship. It was uh, shaped like a um, like a cone. Testing that we did for this project, all this is the end product that we want to have, is the first set of testing we did was a full-scale, again, 30-inch diameter capsule that we put on a high-altitude balloon, took it up to about 110,000 feet, and then dropped it from the balloon. And what we were testing there was aero data. And we, we got aero data from that, vehicle dynamics, how it, um, how it flew, really. So essentially, the aero guys told me, we want to use the, um, the Soyuz shape. Like a... Hershey's Kiss. Because it's more stable. And so I took the Soyuz shape, scaled it down so it would fit in the gym airlock, and truncated it uh, so it would, would fit in there also. So in this little capsule, not only do you have to have this little compartment to actually bring the stuff home in, but I'm sure there's all kinds of other stuff packed in there too, right? I had to fit a flight computer, GPS, uh, inertial measurement unit, uh, fuel tanks, thrusters, um, parachute recovery system, parachute deployment uh, tank, two cameras, some trackers, so we can find it <laughs> once it landed. How did they push it out of the space station? The space station has... I'm not sure what you call it. There was another kind of co-project, and it was called Cyclops. But basically, they have two doors. One door separated the space station from space, and another door would separate that second door from the interior of the space station. So there was a loaded table, deployment table, 
like a mudroom, let's call it, in between space and the space station. They'd open up one door from the space station inside, slide it into this capsule or this area. Close the inside door, open the outside door, which would expose it to space. And they'd put it on this platform, and this platform would slide out into space. Onto the gym module porch, the Japanese robot arm. Basically just a mechanical arm that would then grab that whole assembly, point it in a safe direction, away from the radiators and the solar panels and and the rest of the space station. Push it off of this platform into uh, orbit. And once it got a safe distance from the space station, they'd then engage it and it would take over the automated portion, the drone flying portion of the process of getting it down to Earth. As soon as we come out of station, station is moving at about 17,500 miles an hour. And so when we come out of station relative to the surface of the Earth, we're going 17,000 miles an hour. And we're going that fast until you hit the atmosphere. So, uh, you know, the flight computer would direct when to fire the thrusters in order to position it and orient it into space so when it- to keep us on our, our track to, to land where we wanted to. Basically, nitrogen, and he describes it like a uh, paintball canister that would eject this gas that would orient it. And they would also fire all the way down uh, into the atmosphere, um, and that would start slowing us down. And we'd start to deorbit, and then we'd um, hit the atmosphere. And so it also had a full um, thermal protection system. I actually designed that, and before we shut down the shuttle tile manufacturing, we had them make us two ship sets of uh, tile, thermal protection tile. So it's the same tile we used on shuttle. And once it got slowed down enough. We'd uh, deploy our drogue chute after we got below the speed of sound to get us in the right orientation. And this would all be done based off of its guidance system. And then we'd deploy the main parachute and we would uh, land under the parachute. So again, the whole object was to be able to bring small payloads back down to Earth quickly and uh, be able to recover them quickly. So what's the name of this project? We started off calling it Microcapsule, uh, and then we changed the name to Mariah Capsule because one of our uh, division chiefs passed away, and we named it after him in honor of him. This interview, could you call it the Mariah Drone, please? <laughs> <laughs> You really like calling it space drone, don't you? Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. It is a drone. <laughs> it's the definition of a drone. It's an unmanned flying aircraft that controls itself. It might not look like a helicopter. It might not look like an airplane, but uh, it's a space drone. Thank you for listening to our first episode of Built in Motion Together. If you would like to support the show while we're on iTunes... And if you liked us, it'd be great if you check us out on there. Hit subscribe. Leave it's, us a it's review. It's not an option. Do it. <laughs> it's, it really does help us. Uh, 
Tell anybody you think might possibly be interested to head on over to iTunes and search Built in Motion and click subscribe. Our next episodes will be better and better as we get better at this. Hopefully. We're just a two-man crew working hard at this. Big surprise. I know. It sounded like a ten-man crew. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, yeah, we're going to try to come out with a new episode from now on, the first of every month. Amen. See you next time.